0: Now we're cooking. y'all ready to have some fun? I know I am. Okay. Last Thanksgiving, I'm driving back with my family from the Ozark Mountains. I'm in my van. I'm listening to some podcasts, and I think, you know what? I'm going to listen to a TED Talk podcast. So I'm scrolling, not texting and driving, just happening to scroll. My smoking hot wife's over here next to me, and My sweet daughters are in the back, they're chilling, and so I'm looking here, and I'm looking at the TED Talks, and I see one entitled, To the Edge, and it's about modern day adventurers who have taken physical and mental capacity to the very edge of what otherwise, you know, people can endure. And I think, oh yeah, I am so that, I mean, I am the kind of to the edge kind of guy. In fact, we've just been vacationing on the edge in Branson, show them that picture. Let's see here. This is how Whitaker's vacation. You'll see it in a second. Yeah, what's this? This is I mean, I am so about being on the edge that even vacationing in Branson for the holidays is how is how we uh, we live life on the edge. This is supposed to be funny. Okay. So <laughs> analog RB? Okay, anyway. So here we go. I'm listening to this podcast on To the Edge about other Modern day adventurers and what they're dealing with. And so on this particular podcast is talking about one guy, how he skied solo to the very, to the North Pole. I mean, skied solo to the North Pole. I mean, and, and he was alone in an area multiple times that of the United States. So he skied solo to the North Pole. Another modern day adventurer in this particular TED talk was about a guy. Oh, there we are. There's vacationing on the edge. Yeah. Take a good look at that. That's how we do it. So anyway, now I'll go to the next slide. There we go, to the TED Talk, to the edge. So anyway, so the second person that he talked about was this modern-day spelunker who's literally been to depths in caves that no one has ever reached before. And I think, well, that's kind of cool. Well, the third person they talked about is this Roz Savage. And I thought she had a particularly interesting story because it turns out in her mid-30s, She's a management consultant in London, and one day in her cubicle, she just comes to this decision that there's gotta be more to life than what she's doing. Hit the clicker and you'll see her statement. This is what she says I feel like I've got a purpose in this life, but I don't know what it is. But I'm sure, pretty sure management consultancy is not it. So here, this Roz Savage comes to this conclusion that she goes home and she writes two obituaries, all right? One is an obituary of what her life might look like if she continues on the path that she's on. And the other is an obituary of what her life might look like if she becomes a modern-day adventurer. Well, you can see from the slide there that she decides the latter, and so she goes out and trains and buys a boat, and she rows solo across the Atlantic. Apparently it had never been done before, and that wasn't enough, so she rows solo later on across the Indian Ocean, and then she rows solo across the Pacific Ocean. So Raj Savage has decided that she is going to become a modern-day adventurer, and I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. I want to find out more about her and about what compelled her to take life in that direction. Well, I went and listened to her TED Talk individually, and it turns out that she did more than just leave her job behind. She left her husband behind as well, got a divorce. So she came to this point where she goes, you know, I don't know what my purpose is, but it must be somewhere else, and it must be with someone else kind of the grass is always greener mentality. Anybody ever heard of that? And that's kind of what we're talking about today that I want to show you is that that to be significant, to, to make big impact, impact, that we've got to be aware of this lie out there about the grass is always greener, okay? So and it turns out that you think, well, okay, there must be something that the TED Talk organizers thought that we could learn from Ms. Savage, and I think there are. I mean, you know, resiliency, kind of rewriting your life, you know, persevering through obstacles, you know, courage while you're, you know, in dire circumstances, things like that that, yes, we can learn from her. But I think also we have to ask ourselves is what is it that we're really trying to to learn from this or what is the underlying message? So here she is, she's searching for a purpose. In other words, kind of whatever she's doing, but it's also, it's not just what she's doing, it's who she's living life with. She's looking for something else. She's looking to looking elsewhere for what really might be able to be a a significant impact where she is, okay? You follow me? This kind of grass is always greener. And so maybe it begs the question that, you know, we should all ask, is there more to life than, you fill in the blank. You know, we get bored, we get dealing with the mundane, and we think, well, there must be more to life than the person that I'm with, or the, the group that I'm with, or the job that I have. In other words, there must be something more, and you'll encounter that if you don't already. You'll encounter that when you get into the next stages of life, after high school, into college, or whatever the Lord leads you. So it's nothing wrong with her wanting to make an impact, nothing wrong necessarily with wanting to make change, nothing even necessarily wrong with a change in career. But what was her underlying motivation? It was that she lacked purpose. That was her underlying motivation. So if we're looking to make change, we need to analyze what's our underlying motivation as well. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be significant, wanting to do exciting things, wanting to make impact on a bigger scale, but I'm going to read this. Instead of us leaving people in places to find significance, purpose, and adventure, we should find significance, purpose, and adventure where we are and with the people that God has already connected us with. You follow me on that? Okay, shake your head. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, so let's move on to the next slide. So this leads us to Colossians. I love the book of Colossians because Paul is writing to a church that he didn't find, found. A guy named Epaphras founded the church of Colossians. And so it's a great story about he starts off with the supremacy of Christ and then you get to chapter 3. And he's really telling you about how to maybe look at at living, how to live out this faith that we profess. So I want you to read this with me. This is Colossians 17 and, and 23 through 24. So let's read this together. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for its human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving all right that's that's what we're studying this morning that's that's what we want to own as we as we tackle what we're looking at so go to the next slide so whatever okay whatever i mean that's a word we know we know it's used to emphasize a lack of restriction in referring to anything or an amount, no matter what, do whatever you like. So we have to ask ourselves, is whatever a limiting word or a a liberating word? What do you think? Does it limit us or does it liberate us? Liberates us, yeah. Whatever is whatever. I mean, that that covers just about everything. So what are some examples of some whatevers in our life? Because what we're after today is how to integrate this faith that we have into those Whatevers that we have. So let's, let's just drill down on high school. What are some whatevers that you have? What are some activities that you are involved in that, that may be a, a, a potential of whatever you do, do in the name of Jesus? Big one is starts with an S, has a C. School. Yeah. Sports. What are some other things? Yeah. Friends. You might have a job. Church. You might be involved in impact. You might be involved in student government. Basically, Anything you're involved in are the whatevers. Whatever you do, do all in the name of Jesus. So that covers pretty broad scale of life, right? You follow me on that? So whatever is what we're covering here. So let's go to the next slide. And here's where we come to this concept of sacred versus secular. Oh, go back to the first, go back, not quite ready for that. Sacred is Connected with God, or it's an adjective, so it's something that is connected with God, dedicated to a religious purpose or deserving veneration. Synonyms would be holy or blessed or consecrated. So a secular would be denoting attitudes or activities or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. Synonyms might be non-religious, temporal, worldly, earthly, or profane. So here's the concept that in life we tend to, to bifurcate, there's a fancy word for it, separate, Life into the sacred Sunday mornings. Where would that be? Sacred. And the secular Friday night. Where do we think that is? Secular. Yeah. Oh man, I'm sacred over in this corner of the stage, but over in this corner of the stage, it's secular. Over in this corner of the stage, the sacred is what God is really concerned with. I mean, this is the stuff God's all about. So when I'm in the, when I'm at church, or when I'm doing churchy type stuff, that's what God is concerned with, because that's sacred, that's the religious type of stuff. But when I'm involved in secular things, things that otherwise are divided, defined as secular, the school, the sports, the, the government, the Friday night activities, lunch with people, well, hey, that's secular stuff. Well, that's, that's stuff God's not particularly interested in, right? Does anybody else think that way? Whether you agree with that or not, that's what the world is going to tell you, is that, hey, they're secular and they're sacred. God's only really concerned about the sacred, so when you're involved in what would otherwise be defined as secular activities, God's not really on board with that, so you can just you can just kind of do your own thing. Now let's go to this slide and listen to what this gentleman has to say. Oh. I may have to read. He talks like English.
1: I'll read Prayer meetings, social action, world missions, singing carols outside Tesco. No, that's okay. The sacred secular divide is the pervasive belief that some things are really important to God and that other things aren't. So on the sacred side of the divide, there's church, prayer meetings, social action, world missions, singing carols outside Tescos, and so on. We believe these things are important to God, and they are. But other human activities are, at best, neutral. Work, school, college, sport, the arts, music, unless it's got Christian words with it, leisure, sleep, rest. These sorts of things belong firmly on the secular side of life. So, on the one hand... We teach our kids what to think about Harry Potter because it's set in a school of witches and wizards. But, on the other hand, we hardly ever help them to think biblically about what they read and study day by day at school. Of course, if you ask any Christian, do you think all of your life matters to God? They're going to say, yep. But I wonder, do we really? And if we do, why is it that stories like this one abound?
0: I teach Sunday school once a week for 45 minutes. And my church asks me to come up the front so they can pray for me. For the rest of the week, I'm a full-time teacher. And as far as I can remember, no one has ever offered to pray for the work that I do in schools. It's, It's as if they want to support half my profession and not the other half. It's difficult because no one would say that teaching Sunday school is more important than the work I do for the rest of the week. But that's the unspoken message that I get. And if you look at it this way, I've got 45 minutes once a week with children who are generally open to the gospel, with parents who are supportive of the faith, or 45 hours a week with kids who have very little knowledge of Christianity and parents who are either as ignorant or hostile to the faith.
1: Which context needs more prayer? Both. And that was a teacher. When was the last time we prayed for the cleaner? Look at your church's prayer diary. What's in there about people's ordinary Monday to Saturday day-to-day lives? Look at your church's prayer diary. For where your prayer is, there your heart is. Think about your own praying. What do you pray about? And what do you ask other people to pray about? In reality, the sacred-secular divide has had a devastating impact on two key areas of Christian life, our mission and our living.
0: Okay. Just word. If you ever have to give a presentation, show a video of people speaking with a British accent, and it just makes it sound so much more authoritative. Am I right on that? I mean, clearly what this guy is saying has to be right. Now, I think he does a great job, along aside from some unnecessary Zoom there, but the, uh, the concept is... That basically he does a great job of saying, hey, we need to be really careful how we think through this, our mindset, our paradigm of how we look at whatever we do. Colossians 3, whatever you do, make sure that we're not saying, hey, well that whatever is sacred, God is concerned with that, and this whatever is secular, and God's not really concerned with that. You follow me? So it's very subtle, and it's very subtle even in church. So here's a test. In, in the jar, consider the jargon that we even use in Christian circles about vocation or calling. In other words, well-meaning people say things like this to describe maybe church-related work: full-time vocational ministry. What does that mean? It means you're going to become a pastor, right? So full-time vocational ministry. A special call on. She has a special call on her life. What might that mean? Going into mission. She's going to be a missionary. What about this, um, he's been set apart to, set apart to, what's that, you know, he's clearly been set apart to do something sacred, right? Special call to do something sacred, instead of us obeying Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul talking about whatever we do, whatever we do, if we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is what? Sacred. You follow me on that? It's not secular, it becomes Sacred. And so we need to be really careful about that. So bear with me. I, I need to make sure I get this said. My point is that words have meaning, and when we associate importance or specialness to certain activities, it has an unintended consequence of making other activities less important or special. Okay, here's a personal example. When I was your age, I was very involved in my church, and I can remember distinctly some people going, hey, Mark, what are you going to do? You know, What are you going to study? What are you going to do with your life? And I was like, well, you know, I really interested in becoming a lawyer. And it was almost like, hmm, boy, you know, Mark, we kind of we were hoping you'd be on the A-team out there doing what God really wanted you to do. We thought you were going to go into full-time vocational ministry. I mean, that happened. And I, really, I still remember that going, well, gosh, I guess, uh, you know, I guess, you know, just this kind of indicator that what I had, was feeling a call to for vocation must not have been as special as if I had done something else. Now, quick aside, I am not saying... What, you know, pastors and people that do, that is absolutely special. I'm not trying to uh, delineate or, or de- de-importize, that's not a word, but I just made it up, make it less important than, than anything else. What I'm trying to do is elevate everything we do to the point where if we're doing it for God, it's important. It's important to Him. So as you, in the stage of life that you're at, we're going, you know, I mean, some of you are making very important decisions. What are you going to study? What are you going to do? What are you going to be involved with? Who are you going to marry? All of those things. Don't be weighted with this concept that something you do might be more special than something else you do. It's all special if you do it for the Lord. You follow me? Okay. So let me bear, bear with me on this. So here's the deal. When we elevate one whatever, as sacred, and another whatever, is secular, then we are not as missional in those secular activities. We don't serve the Lord in that activity because He thinks it must not be important to Him. When we elevate one thing, we devalue another. When we decide one thing is missions, for instance, the other thing is not missions. Missions means serving Jesus somewhere else to some other people instead of serving Jesus with where I am with the people that I'm currently being connected with. When we associate our activities or jobs with secular words and not sacred words, then we are not missional in the activity that we spend the majority of our days doing. The effect is that we have bifurcated our lives into stuff done for God that is important to God and stuff not done for God because He really doesn't care about it. It's as if God's waiting around for you to get out of school going, hey, when's Austin going to get done with school? Because we got to get to ministering. Sorry, I picked on Austin. But we have that attitude. Well, I'm at school. That's secular. I can't be about what God's doing. He's waiting for me to get off school or to get off my job so that we can go about doing some ministry. All right? So here, think about this. We should elevate all, of, all activities done in the name of Jesus that people do so that in order that we are co-laborers with Jesus in His work of redemption. An illustration would be so that I'm as missional on a Tuesday morning when I go to work or school as I would be when I'm going on a short-term trip to Ethiopia to do missions. Either one, I'm missional because I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. So I'm as missional when I go to lunch or when I play soccer when I do something else as I am when I go to impact training. Impact training, oh, that's got to be secular. I mean, that's got to be sacred. Well, let me ask you this. If you do it without Jesus, is it sacred or secular? Yeah, you need to think about that. I mean, you need to make sure that what you are doing, whether it's impact or otherwise, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. I mean, if we owned these Colossians 3 verses, everything would be missional. Everything would be sacred because we'd be doing it, you know, co-laboring with God. Okay. Yeah, Second Chronicles says, The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to Him. So God, He is there. He is in your school, and He's looking for people. Who's devoted to me? Whose hearts are really devoted to me? That's the person I want to key in on. That's where people are doing missional work right where they are, whether they're there or in another country. That's what God is looking for. I mean, we even have the idea that... Think of, we think about it this way. we need to get. Who's heard this? We need to get God back in schools. We need to get God back in work. We need to get God in certain places. Well, you know how you do that? You just go to that place. You 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 take Jesus to that place. Let's even let's not even go there. He's in there. We live in a God-permeated world where he is he is he is in your school. He's in my work. He's in your uh realm of influence. He's looking for co-laborers whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Amen. Oh, thank you. I just like that. Okay. Oh, here's an example. Okay. I, I'm a lawyer. I do business and estate planning work. Sounds sexier than it is, I know. But anyway, um, follow me on this. I have a client in Waco, Lady's widowed, extraordinarily wealthy, and she she and her late husband they collected all these macabre. Is that the way you say that? These just macabre. Okay, thank you. Okay, macabre. Types things. I mean, you go into her house and she's got a collection of literally Nazi uniforms and and uh, Bonnie and Clyde paraphernalia. I mean, she's literally, I kid you not, has a painting of that, that Hitler painted. I mean, she is into this dark type stuff. And so she had been referred to me as a client by a financial advisor. And so we're in her house. We're doing the work that needs to be done to make sure that, you know, her estate plan is in order or whatever. And she just goes off on this rant. About who and what is wrong with America. I mean, very colorfully goes off on this rant. And the, the financial advisor is also a Christian. We're texting each other after the meeting going, boy, she really needs Jesus. Well, yeah, she absolutely needs Jesus. How's she going to get Jesus? Where's it going to come from? Is she going to, is she going to entertain the visit from the local pastor? Not this lady. Mm-mm. Is she going to, um, Go to Wednesday night prayer service at the you know local Baptist church on the corner? No, I mean the only places she goes, literally outside the house, is to get her hair done, and then goes back to the house. The only people she lets in her house are her accountant, her lawyer, and her financial advisor. Now, who's going to bring Jesus to her? I mean, yeah, I mean I'm texting this guy. Yeah, she needs Jesus. When God's up there going, yeah, Mark, what you got to do about that? What do you you know? What am I going to do about that? Now, is that work? Does that now have the opportunity to be sacred? You bet it does. If I bring Jesus into that, and all of a sudden, whatever we do, including those types of things, are done for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're serving Him. Okay? Okay. Here we go. Next slide. No, go back. I've been... People. Okay. This is where you're just going to think I'm genius. People, prayer, and Provision. Okay, if we're to do whatever we're to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then in verse 23 work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ you're serving. Well, then here's some ways that we might can integrate our faith into this aspect. One is people. Okay. God loves people. Write that down. God loves people. Yeah, okay. I know you're going, okay, Mark, that is, that is clearly the most obvious thing I have heard all week. God loves people. For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. God the Creator loves His creation. God loves people. Here's the problem with that. It's become so familiar that it's unfamiliar Do we really live out life in a fashion that God loves people. The people you're connected with, the people at your table, the people that you're marginalizing at school. God loves those people. He died for those people and so whatever you do, you are doing it for people. People, say this with me: People are important to God. Yeah, I mean, it is so obvious that it's become non-obvious. It's so familiar, it's become unfamiliar that we need to fall in love with people. I need to. I'm telling you, are people just a utility for you? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, they're just a means to an end. They're just a necessary irritant for what I've got to do. I need. You know I'm I'm trying to get elected for this. I got to go shake a few hands. I got to get elected. I got to I want to be popular. I want to do this. People are just a necessary irritant to get me where I want to be. That's a very secular attitude. What if instead we looked at people and go, "Dear Lord, break my heart for these people. Help me to see them literally the way you see them. Help me to have vision for people that are marginalized that are, that need a authentic friend, need a kind word. Help me to be that person to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So people are, are important to God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the weight in his Weight of Glory, if you haven't read The Weight of Glory, you need to look that up. That's one of my favorite writings by Lewis. He says, "...there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal." It is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. I think C. S. Lewis has it right. And I think there is no greater disconnect that we experience than what you and I do on a daily basis when we profess one thing that you know, what did Jesus they ask Jesus? What are the most important commandments? He says what? Love God and then love people. Oh, that's the law and the prophets summed up in those. We profess that real well on Sunday and while we're doing maybe even things like Impact, and then the majority of our time is spent not living that way. You know, we spend, we spend our lives living like the stuff is immortal and the people are mortal. They're just stuff. They're just things that we have to deal with. Is that that baby back there again? Okay, I thought I got an amen. Okay, people are starving for an authenticity. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love joy, pace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There you go. Thank you, guys. Does any of that occur in a vacuum? Does any of that occur without other people? Huh. I mean, you cannot, you cannot call yourself a patient person if you're not dealing with people that make you want to feel impatient. So the fruit of the Spirit is born out of dealing with people. All right, how are we doing? Oh, we got to hustle. Prayer. Okay, prayer. You're not intended to do this alone. You need to be praying. Are you praying for that God would give you a missional, uh, mentality? That He would give you the ability to, to look for people, to see how you can be the hands, feet, and voice of God with the people that you interact throughout today. You need to be praying about that. You need to start your day in prayer. You need to continue in prayer. You need, I, I really do understand when Paul says we need to live, you know, have, be con- praying continually doesn't mean you're holding your hands and on your knees. He just means you need to be an attitude that, Lord, you've got to give me some revelation on how to deal with this situation. Lord, you've got to show me how to love this person that's driving me absolutely nuts. You, you cannot do it without prayer. You're not intended to. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your uh, request be made known to God. Provision. Okay, let's let's tweak this a little bit. And so, think vocationally for me. Think about work, things things that will be coming your way before you know it. You're making those decisions. What you're going to do, whether you're going to work in the home or outside the home, what type of things you're going to do. Work was not a result of the fall. We, you know, Adam and Eve worked before the fall. you, you follow me on that? The result of the fall was just that it became hard. Well. Let's incorporate Jesus into our work, and it it won't be so hard. It'll be exciting. It'll be significant. It'll be an adventure, right? So think about it this way. When we work, it should be with the encouragement that the next portion of our day is going to be spent helping to further the advancement of God's kingdom, not only by meeting our own needs, that's the provision, but also providing for the needs of those we serve. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You may find yourself in the position of the provider. Okay, that means that you may be, be, the, you may be the one someday that you're providing for other people. Are you doing that with dignity? Are you doing that ethically? Are you, doing, are you, are you creating an environment that God is, is permeating? If you, are, if you play the role of provider. What about if you play the role of providee? another word I made up. If you're the providee. That means somebody else is providing for you. You're working for them. Are you doing that responsibly? Are you giving them your best? If you had to give an account to God for how you're working, how you're performing, what does that look like? So provision is an important thing to understand as we do whatever we do in the name of Jesus. Okay, now go to the next slide. All right, here's a concept. Think about this. Performance promotes permission, which enhances your preaching. Okay, let me unpack this real quick, and then I know we got to hustle. Performance promotes permission, which enhances your preaching. Now, performance, uh, go ahead and hit that. Hit the, okay. Your performance of whatever you do will either enhance or detract from the relationships you develop. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, you got to be the best athlete, you got to be the straight A student. I am not talking about that kind of performance, though you ought to if we do everything unto Jesus, you ought to want to do your very best. We ought to want to be excellent at what we do. But I'm really talking about here our performance is the, the nature of what the character, the integrity, you know, how are you doing that activity? How are you performing that activity? Because especially if you're, if you're just getting to know people, maybe it's on a team or it's in school, you're developing relationship. In work, certainly, you're developing relationship. You're not going to help develop that relationship if you are not performing your work or that activity in a you know in a substandard way. You just you know you're you're not giving your best. You're just kind of showing up. I mean, whatever it is, you're not performing so that it enhances the relationship you're trying to develop. If I ever hope to show Jesus to this lady in Waco that I'm talking about, if I do a poor job as a lawyer, am I going to get anywhere with her? No, I'm not. I mean, the reason I'm even there is because she's hired me to do a task. I have to perform in order to enhance that relationship. If I don't perform ethically or in good, in a Christ-like manner, I detract from that. I mean, you know, I, I tell you, a lot of us need to, you know, take the, you know, James Avery rings off, you know, take the ichthus off your car. I mean, if you're not doing what you should be doing in a Christ-like manner, you're, you're not, you know, you're not doing God any favors, um, so performance, be excellent. First Corinthians 2.15 says we have the mind of Christ. I think we ought to use it. Let's use the mind of Christ to be excellent in what we do. What steps do you need to take to improve your performance, to build capacity, proficiency, expertise? Are you bearing the full weight of your responsibilities in whatever you're doing, in whatever situation you find yourself? Consider what your behavior says about you and your God. What does your behavior say about you and your God? I like this. How do you act under pressure? old guy named Epictetus put it this way. He says, adversity does not make the man, it reveals the man. How do you act in adversity? In other words, how are you honoring God in the performance of whatever you are doing? Okay, but here's, here's an extreme Ree- version. Okay.
2: When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy. But I'm a firm believer in
0: paradigm-breaking, outside-the-box thinking. Hey, buddy.
1: Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch!
0: And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet on your TPS reports,
1: Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Terry. Hey,
0: Janice! but what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family.
2: <laughs>
0: he fits right in here.
2: <laughs> That's a long distance call, Doug.
0: To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us ten Terry Tates.
1: You wanna play games, Gene? Well, when it's game time, it's pay time, baby.
0: There you go. Sometimes you can take performance too far. Hi, Janice. I like that. That's awesome. So, but performance is important. Don't go tackling people that you don't need to tackle. Okay, go to the next slide. Permission. Okay, this is kind of an interesting concept. Let's go ahead. In the creation of relationship, permission is granted as to what topics and what depth of those topics can be discussed. So let's say, let's. I'll give you the 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 benefit of the doubt, you want people to come to know Jesus. Yes, you want people. we all do. We want them to come to know that Jesus. But if you're in the process of developing relationship with those people, if you just hit them over the head with Jesus, what, what do you think they're going to do? Have they given you permission to go there? I don't think so. Now, if they're at church, they've probably given you permission to go there. If they show up at Impact, they're probably giving you permission to go there. But if you're just developing relationship with them, You've got to earn some permission to get to topics that are deeper than the task that you've been assigned to. Does this make sense? Okay. In other words, you need to work on developing the relationship. You've heard it said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Once you build relationship, they'll give you permission. They'll give you permission to get into those deeper places, those places where they're hurting, where they know they can trust you. So performance does help enhance the permission that you get with people. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to God your Father in heaven. They need to see that you're doing good work. You're doing them good. And then they will glorify your God in heaven. So as relationship deepens, the opportunities arise to dialogue about matters of faith. Okay, so... Uh, and then we get to preaching. Okay, you go, man, I didn't know I was going to be signing up for preaching. Let's go to that slide. Here's the concept. When we take the gospel into our whatevers, we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Another word for proclaiming is preaching, right? There's another word. For, so 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You've heard this. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All that... All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God calls us to be united with Him in His ministry. One of the true mysteries of of our faith is that we get to co-labor with God in what we do. He doesn't need us. I don't know why He even wants us sometimes. But He has chosen to say, you know what, I want you guys to go be my hands and feet and my voice my answer to the hurt that you're encountering. That's how I'm going to do this, and I need you to show up and do it with the right heart. That's preaching. I mean, we always think, man, what's my testimony? What's this? You know, testimony is literally just saying what God is doing in your lives. I think we even, um, you know, get that out of whack. I like what St. Francis of Assisi is credited with saying, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. You just go be the gospel. You go be the good news to somebody because believe me, they're looking for it. They're they're dying to see what's working because they're likely not seeing anything in their life that's working. So you go show them that it's Jesus in you that's working all this deal out. And that's the preaching that we're called to do. Howard Hendricks is credited also with this. He was a long-time professor at Dallas Theological Seminary who said... You impress from afar, you impact up close. I love that you you impress from afar, but you impact up close now i 'm not saying i 'm impressing you this morning, maybe maybe not, but i if anything i 'm afar you know maybe there 's some impact there, but the impact takes place in the nuts and bolts of life the nitty gritty that's i mean that 's how Jesus did it. He preached to the five thousand. But who did he really use? He used the 12. Even the 12, he was kind of almost the 3. I mean, he understood that concept of you impact up close. So it's good to want to do something global, want to do something big, want to do something significant, but what we've got to change our paradigm is when you touch one person, that is global, that is significant, that is, that's huge. And I think, so when we look at Colossians 3, It's just such a beautiful passage. Go read the whole thing because he's telling us there that, folks, whether you're a husband, a wife, a sibling, a student, a worker, a slave, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus, and you'll be honoring to God. That's the gospel that we need to be taking. We have one last video, and this is more from a vocational But I think it does a great job of kind of showing this concept. So let's play that last video and then I'll close this.
2: Our lives are not divided into two halves, with one part being sacred and another part secular. Worship is not reserved only for Sunday morning but for Monday morning as well. Every time we get out of bed and ready ourselves for the day. Every time we labor at a task, no matter how insignificant it may seem, every moment is a gift. Every moment belongs to the one who gave us that moment. There is a way that leads a man to flourish. It is freedom. The freedom to discover his true potential. To keep the fruits of his labor. To find fulfillment in his work. These freedoms are the right of every person because they come woven into the God-given dignity of every person. Where they exist, societies and people flourish. Where they are absent, there is only poverty. These freedoms must be championed for this is God's design for us for the good of all he has created.
0: God. I think what I like about that is it, how are we set free? I mean, Jesus, he sets us free. I mean, that's how people get set free is through Jesus. And I love that word, flourish. Man, you know, are, not only are you seeking Jesus so that your life you're flourishing. Doesn't mean you don't have your ups and downs, but are you being His? Are you being salt and light in a world so that you help other people flourish, other people thrive, because they are looking. You know, for what works, for what's authentic, and for the love that comes only from God through you. So you've got some discussion questions there. Let me close this in a word, and we may or may not have time for this. Dear Lord, thank you for all you've given us. Thank you that whatever we do for you brings you into you know, the lives of not only ourselves, but of people that we touch. That you honor us, that you allow us to be your hands and feet to other people. And Lord, we love you, and we dedicate our lives to you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for Mr. Mark Whitaker. I appreciate you speaking to us today. Great job, as always. Okay, so real quick, guys. uh, You guys have five questions. I'd pick, like, two or three to have discussion in your your groups. Um, If senior upperclassmen guys can stay in here, because the Outback Theater Room is out of commission for the moment for a meeting just after this, go ahead and head down this hallway, find the room that uh, has your grade and gender on it, and go to your breakouts. Upperclassmen guys, stay here in the main room for your discussion. And if there's any leaders that are missing discussion sheets, there's up here on the stage. Just to clarify, the upperclassmen girls, y'all can go to your room, but the upperclassmen guys
2: can stay in this room.